you would take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking at verse 4, and then we're going to then turn over to Genesis chapter 4. We have seen as we get into chapter 11, we have seen faith defined for us. We've been given the first example of what faith is, and then today we move into the efficacy of faith in the lives of particular people. How life has been expressed in the lives of the patriarchs. And we begin with Abel this morning. And to see how faith was exhibited in Abel's life, the righteous one. And you know the story of Cain and Abel. Even those that are unfamiliar with the Bible are familiar with those names. And familiarity with the story and familiarity with the events of the story can oftentimes lead us to miss details or even the significance of what's taking place. What we want to know is, as we read of Abel is that the New Testament tells us very clearly Abel was a real human being. Cain was a real human being. They are historical characters. We're, when we read of the events of Cain and Abel, we're, we're dealing with true people. We're dealing with historical narrative. We're, we're dealing with true events that took place. And the thing that we see so clearly in this that comes out this morning for us is that you have two men that are gathered together to worship God they are presenting sacrifices to God. They're both worshiping God, but yet one does not know God. And the other does know God. With, which confronts us with the stark reality that oftentimes you will have gathered a people to worship God. You will have one that is a true believer and one that is not. And they're going through the exact same motions. So with that being said, let us hear the word of God in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And would you turn over to Genesis chapter 4? Genesis 4, and beginning in verse 1. We read in verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of God. And we pray he blesses the reading of it. We see an acceptable sacrifice and an unacceptable sacrifice. In Hebrews, which gives us the commentary of how to understand what took place in Genesis chapter 4, we read this simple fact by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And so we begin with this fact that Abel offers this sacrifice. It is acceptable. And here's what we have to recognize, that Genesis teaches us this. His sacrifice was accepted because Abel himself was first accepted. God accepts the sacrifice because he has accepted Abel. So how does one present an acceptable sacrifice? Well, Hebrews tells us it was by faith that he did this. This is what the commentary from the New Testament on the Old Testament is, is that it was acceptable because of his faith. What Abel did was in faith, and what Cain did was by obligation. And let that sit before us. Two men are worshiping God by going through the same motions. What Cain did was merely an obligation. What Cain did was, was formalism. What, what Cain did was out of an expectation, this is what I'm supposed to do. What, what Cain did was something of his own merit to gain favor with God. Two men worshiping before God, doing the same thing. One knew God, one did not. We get to the Genesis account to fully understand this. In verse 1, we read these remarkable words. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore. And you just pause right there. And this gives us the, the incomprehensible mercy and grace of God, because the verses before this tell us this, that God had driven Adam and Eve from his presence. He had driven them from the Garden of Eden. But then in the very next verse, we read that God has mercy and life continues, that Eve, even though through pain, is able to bring forth a son. And we see God's mercy upon mankind. Many theologians call this God's common grace. That despite driving man from his presence, he doesn't cease caring for man, but rather continues to provide for man and provide life. Now Eve's words are most telling. She says she bore Cain. 
And the word, the name Cain means gotten. It means gotten. And she says then after bearing Cain, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now that, that phrase there, with the help of the Lord, it, with the help of the Lord is not actually in the text. It's not actually in the Hebrew. That's an interpretation of what the Hebrew says. Uh, let me quote Luther's translation of this, which is very helpful. I have received a man, namely the Lord. In other words, what Eve is saying as Cain comes into this world is, I have bore the one of the Lord. I have bore the Lord. Why would she say that? Because Eve now was living in light of the promise that the seed of the woman would come forth and crush the head of the serpent. And as Cain comes into this world, Eve immediately acknowledges, this is the one. Now, she's sadly mistaken. But it is telling us something, is that she lived in light of the promise that the seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. Cain himself, we see, is a reminder of the Lord's grace and mercy. But his actions will become a reminder to Eve of her disobedience to the Lord and the pain of losing her next son. We see that he is the realization of a promise that God would continue to bring life, but his actions of murder are a reminder to both Adam and Eve that when you eat of the fruit of the tree, you shall surely die. So we see two things. We see not only God's blessing and continuing to bring life forward, but then we also see in Cain the tragic reminder of death that came with him. It says in verse 2 and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Abel is named breath or vapor, which is... Difficult to understand, except for the only thing you can come to this conclusion is that by this point in time when Adam and Eve have Abel, they've recognized and come to the realization that they have been barred from the tree of life and that life is short and life is diminishing, and so they name their son Abel. And we're given their occupations. We're given their occupations is that Abel is going to take care of flocks. He's going to take care of sheep. Uh, Cain is a worker of the ground. And we should not read anything negative or inferior or superior to either occupation in there. In fact, Cain is just simply following in the footsteps of his father who was called to work the ground, to care for the ground, and that he would, he would gain his food from the ground itself. And so nothing negative is stated about the, their occupations. Adam was called to tend the garden. But we also see that the idea of animal livestock was already introduced in the fact that God covered them with garments of skin. So nothing is stated here negative about their occupations. They both have good occupations, that they are recognizing God's grace and protecting them and giving them uh, nutrients and sustenance. And in verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now that phrase in the course of time is so important. It's really in the end time. 
is, is what it means. Or it can be referred to as the set time. And specifically, what this is referring to is a designated point in time. Perhaps it's at the end of the harvest, or it's a dedicated time that there was a practice of Adam and Eve and his children to come before the Lord where they would gather and worship and present a sacrifice. Now, it's a, and people try to say, well, there was, this was just something that they, they happened to know to do. Why did they know to do this? Because God had told or showed that to Adam, and Adam now shows this to his children. And the whole fact that it says here, in the course of time, indicating there was a regulated set time, a period of time where they would come before the Lord and worship at a specific place was all according to God's plan and design. How do we know it was a special place? How do we know? Well, we see that they are, Cain himself is driven from the special presence of the Lord in verse 16, which we read. What does that mean? We know that God is everywhere, so you cannot actually escape the presence of God. But when it speaks of the presence of God in the Scriptures, it's speaking about the special presence of God with His people. And Cain is driven from that, much like Adam and Eve were driven from that special presence of the Lord in Eden. So this gathering to worship God was a place where they would gather and God's special presence would be with His people and they would present a sacrifice. So when we read this phrase in the set time, what we must be understanding is that they have gathered to worship God in a special place at a special time according to God's word. They are gathered to worship the Lord. And they know to come before the Lord with a sacrifice. And it says this, that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought also of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. You see the special nature of the offering of Abel is that Abel does present a special offering. And it's noticed this way, it's, this is a firstborn of his flock. It's something that, that cost him something. And not only that was the fat portions, which indicates this, is that he spilt the blood of the animal to bring it before God. And he gives God the best parts of it. And he presents these by faith. And, and the nature of Abel's faith is demonstrated in the giving of his gift. You could say that is the fruit of his gift. But what makes Abel's so, gift so uh, special is the fact of spilt blood. As it tells us in Hebrews 9.22, is that without spilt blood, no one has the remission of sins. So you can view uh, Abel's sacrifice in this sense. I cannot come before God on my own merit, but I have to give him something. It was the shed blood of this animal. Something that had to stand in his place. It was the shed blood. In other words, there was nothing that Abel brings to the table. 
but actually he brings the life of someone else in his place. Now we should not, I think it should be clear by now, we should not read this as being the first sacrifice or the first worship service that's taken place. It's just the first one that's recorded. Adam had been offering to the Lord already. He himself had experienced the taking of life to cover his sin. In Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Adam had experienced the covering of God through the shedding of blood. And as he experienced that himself, he then explains this and taught this to his children to likewise worship the Lord through sacrifice. That there is no remission of sins apart from spilt blood is what Adam is driving into his children He taught them that it was necessary to present a sacrifice, which is a a recognition that not only was God the giver of all things, and this was a, a response of thankfulness and a return to Him of thankfulness, but also a recognition that we cannot come before God apart from spilt blood. Let me just speak to the fathers. Adam is our example. We know that Adam failed, but Adam taught his children to worship. Adam gathered his children and he taught them of the promise of the Messiah that would come and spill his blood on our behalf. And when Adam brought sacrifice to God, he knew that represented something far greater in the future. And Adam trained his children in this. He taught his children to worship. And while we know that this is perfected in the second Adam, we can't discount the fact that Adam provides an example of what we are to do. But also, let me just speak to this congregation, to this church, is that when we gather, we have the wonderful privilege of having our children with us in worship, don't we? Let me tell you, when you sing, you sing from a gratefulness of your heart to the Lord. Lift your voices to the Lord because He is worthy. But let me give you another motivating factor. Lift your voices to the Lord when you sing so your children hear you sing. And then they know, I saw my dad sing. I saw my mom sing. I saw saw this person singing. And why are they singing? They're singing because they love the Lord. And I want to love the Lord. And so I'm going to lift my voice like they did. Think about it. When you're listening to the sermon, are you listening to the sermon? And listening to... God's word being expounded? Are we preoccupied with things on our cell phone? Are we preoccupied with other things? Be be focused with the sermon because the Lord calls you to first and foremost, but be focused on the sermon for these dear children here that see this, they're taking this seriously. Maybe I ought to take it seriously too. In other words, when we gather, we're actually teaching the children what it means to worship and how to worship. Let us teach them rightly. Adam had taught his children and told them of the promise of the Messiah. And these sacrifices that were presented were to demonstrate a future sacrifice 
that would restore Eden. William Perkins says this, We see both the sacrifices and sacraments of the Old as also the New Testament all aimed at these ends, to show us our sins and mercy by sin, and to foretell or represent our reconciliation by Christ. In other words, everything they did was pointing to the future promise. You might say, well, how do you see that? I don't see that in the text. Well, because the exact words are not there doesn't mean the concept isn't there. So how do I know this? Well, the testimony of righteousness, as Hebrews tells us, actually, this is the fact. Where it says, through which he was commended as righteous, or, as the NSAB says, that this was the testimony of his righteousness. In other words, Abel gave a gift. He knew what was to be given that would be appropriate to give to the Lord. And this was a testimony by God of his righteousness. God's testimony. God's own word. God's own commentary on this you read in Hebrews 11.4. And so God's testimony is that Abel was righteous. It's not declaring that the sacrifice made him righteous, but that he was righteous. And the act of his giving was the testimony to the fact of his imputed righteousness by the spilt blood of Christ that Abel trusted in and put his faith in and looked forward to. And he gives his sacrifice of the firstborn of his flock, of the fat portions, knowing that it represented Christ. So his manner of worship was correct. He worshipped according to God's word. And God had regard, the text tells us. That is to look on favorably. You see in other sacrifices where it says a, it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. There's, there's nothing that we can do that can please the Lord. That's just a statement to say that it, the Lord had regard for it. And it's so crucial, we notice the order in the text in, in Genesis. It says that God had regard for Abel and his offering. And that order is crucial. No work is accepted until we are justified before God. We can provide all the works we want to, but none of them are favorable to the Lord, or the Lord takes in regard unless we are justified in His sight. But as of Cain, but for Cain and his offering... He had no regard, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And I want you to notice the order again. He rejected the person before he rejected the sacrifice. He had no regard for Cain. Why? Well, faith is the determining factor. You know, sometimes we'll make a big deal about the, the idea that he, he presented from his, his uh, grain or the fruit of his land. Actually, God has that as part of his law. But there's something we should see here, and that's this theological picture. Is the grain actually was something of his own merit. Because Adam said, you will receive, or God told Adam, excuse me, you will receive the grain of the ground from the sweat of your brow. And so as Cain presents this, what he's presenting before the Lord is his own merit. 
What Cain is bringing before the Lord is what he himself had accomplished. Cain is standing before the Lord as if he could gain access to the Lord by what he himself had done and what his own hands could accomplish. He, in other words, brings to the Lord his own works and brings it before the Lord versus Abel bringing the life of an animal saying, I have nothing to offer. You see, one day we will all stand before the Lord and we will be bringing the fruit of our own hands or we will be bringing and presenting the blood of Christ on our behalf. What is it that we bring to the Lord? It's amazing, though, is that they, we have to note this as Cain did offer something. Cain was there in the presence of the Lord worshiping. Two men going to worship God together. Two men are there before God. Two men had set aside sacrifices and prepared the time that it would require. They go to the special presence of God and they, they're both bringing their, their sacrifice Two men. One knows the Lord. One trusts in Him by faith and the other knows God. But out of obligation, he brings something. Out of formalism, out of habit, he brings something. For Cain, worship was just something you have to do. It's that time of the year again where we need to present this sacrifice. It's the end of the harvest, so... Um, I'll go take this to the Lord. My works I'll take to the Lord. What well, was it a sense of guilt that motivated Cain to go and present? Was it because his, his, his father expected it of him? Was it, was it just mere formalism? Did he view it as some sort of magic token? If I show up to worship God, God will accept me. Why... Why is it that you come to worship? By the way, our gathering of worship is instructed just as theirs was. We're to gather on an appointed day, and, and, and by God's common light, we're able to say we're going to gather at this time, but we are called to gather on a certain day. It's called the Lord's Day, not the Lord's Hour, not the Lord's Moment. It's the Lord's Day. Sunday is the day where Christ rose, brought forth a new creation, and we gather in the name of the risen Lord. This is His day. It's to be set aside for Him. It is to be our greatest priority to gather on this day of worship. There's not supposed to be other things. It's not supposed to be, as long as I don't have these things to do, I'll gather to worship, but we are called to gather and worship. But why do you come and gather? How do you worship? Is it obligation? Is it, I need to check that off the box? Or is it by faith? We gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, where we enter into the special presence of God, where Christ promises to be with his church in a special way. 
And we present songs and offerings before the Lord. What did we already learn? The Lord will not accept the works of the unjustified. And this shows us from the very foundation of the world, you will find false professors alongside of true professors. And those that gather to worship that do not know Knew the, know the Lord, but yet they think that they're contributing something. Let me just read Proverbs 21, verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. And if, if, if that you find yourself examining your heart right now, there's great hope that you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you stand covered in His blood and the Lord accepts your sacrifice. Because there's only one sacrifice, and that's of Christ. Now, when Cain is confronted with this fact that the Lord did not accept it, his response is anger, which is a, a demonstration of his heart. It's just demonstrating why God did not accept it. When, when he's rebuked by God's word, he, he's to get angry. And I think that we have to think, whenever we're, we're sitting under the teaching of God's word, or a brother or sister comes to us and says, you know, here's God's word for your life. If, what's our response when God's word corrects our actions? Well, for Cain... When the word of God comes before him, it says he's very angry, and his face fell. Look at verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? Now, the Lord doesn't ask these questions because he needed information. In fact, there's a series of questions that God asks, even in, in chapter 3 of Adam and Eve. He's not, he's not searching for true information, but He's actually having them search their heart. And what we have to see is that when God asks a question of, whether He's asking a question of Adam and Eve, or He's asking a question of Cain, this is God's mercy. When God's Word is in your, right now asking you questions of your heart, See that as a sign of God's mercy that He's directing you and pointing you to look at His Son? As God reveals Cain's heart and shows mercy to him rather than repent, he continues to dig in. And if Cain could just answer why, God asks him why. If Cain could actually search his heart and answer that question, he would recognize he can't blame God and he can't blame his brother Abel, but rather he must be looking at his own heart. If the Lord asks you why, how do you answer that? How do you answer that before the Lord? Verse 7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Again, God is offering him grace. He's offering him grace. And the, the acceptability here is not that if that God would accept him based on Cain what would do or his own merit. It, it's, it's in reference to a warning and a question 
And that by Cain's disobedience, he has actually renounced God. And apart from knowing God in Christ, what we see here in this description of sin, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. In reading those words, we recognize exactly what Paul talks about, that when you are not in Christ, you are a slave to sin. It's crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. If you're not in Christ, that is the description of, of your life. And you must rule over it, but here's the fact. You can't. You can't rule over it any more than Cain could, unless you're in Christ and you're set free from it. It's only in Christ where we're set free from sin and that we're no longer under the domain of sin. But as Cain himself finds this himself in this situation, you must rule over it, is a statement for Cain to thrust himself before the merciful feet of the Lord and beg for forgiveness. But the Lord warns him. The Lord warns Cain just as he warns us when we go off track. And what is our response to that? Our response is a demonstration of our heart, isn't it? Now what happens next should horrify us. And it should never cease to, to, to show us the horrendous nature of sin. And I think that, I think that just to, to, for us to fill the weight of this, Read this from the perspective of being a parent. Read these words from, being, from the perspective of having children. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And Cain lures Abel to a remote place, and in his mind, he thinks he's away from the sight of the Lord. He's away from the presence of God's watchful eye and God won't be able to see him murder his brother. It's always interesting when you're reading through the Old Testament accounts how often someone thinks that they can escape God's sovereign watchful eye. It started from the beginning. Man desires to be autonomous from God. We think that we can get out of God's sight and do whatever we want. But how soon after sin entered into the world, the first recorded murder is between two brothers. It's a horrifying thought. One innocent of harm, but dies at the hands of a jealous, in other word, but a psychopath. He lures him out there. Abel's unexpected. And he attacks him and is able to overcome his brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain now lies to the Lord and shows disdain to the Lord. But I want you to notice the progression here. It's sometimes helpful to see the progression of sin when we see sin of this egregious nature, Cain's sin began as mere formalism. That's how his sin began. His sin then went from just formalism of, I'm supposed to gather to worship, so I guess I'll worship. 
Then it turns to jealousy when the Lord accepts Abel's sacrifice. You know, at times jealousy seems rather innocuous. It seems to be one of those sins that's okay to be jealous. But look what it leads to. Murder. Why don't you think about that word jealousy for a moment? Consider the works of the flesh. And think about Cain. It's almost as if when Paul wrote the works of the flesh in Galatians, he just described Cain. He says, the works of the flesh are strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension. All of those things describe Cain as being a work of the flesh. But we, we think, oh, it's okay to be jealous. Actually, if we experience jealousy which at some point all of us will experience some form of jealousy. It's something we have to take before the Lord. Jealousy, untamed, is a serious sin. It's not a work of the flesh. I mean, excuse me, it's a work of the flesh. It's not a work of the Spirit. In fact, Paul goes on to say, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, when we think about that idea of jealousy, it's not an innocent sin. It's not an innocent sin because Paul tells us those that are of this, if that is their character, is this, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And wh why is that? Well, a couple places in the New Testament describe Cain. In 1 John chapter 3, and verse 12, we read this, We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Notice what it says there. He was of the evil one. That's a fascinating phrase, that he was of the evil one. In Jude 11, we read this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. Actually, what we see manifested in Cain is murder begins with just him falsely worshiping God. Then it turns into jealousy. Then it turns into murder. But he doesn't stop there. He then turns into a liar to God. Now, whereas this is the scripture says that the blood of Abel continues to speak today, we also have to see that the sinfulness of Cain also continues to speak. God's testimony upon Abel is that he presented a sacrifice by faith and it was testified to him as righteousness. And God's testimony of Cain is that he provided a sacrifice that was not accepted. And it was a work of abomination. That's God's ongoing testimony to Cain for all of time. Cain will be known for his fruit. Let me just say, if these things you struggle with, it's jealousy, if it's lying, if it's anger in the heart, which Jesus says is murder, you cannot tame it. You can't do it. It is only by God's grace. It is only by God's mercy and pleading the blood of His Son on your behalf.
And then when that happens, Paul says we are set free. We are set free when we plead for God's grace. What do we see of Abel? As the Lord asks Cain, where's your brother? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? By the way, if you ever say that in response to me, am I my brother's keeper? I will say, if you're a Christian, you are. If you're a Christian, you're your brother's keeper. What happens? Verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. It's amazing that the death of Abel spoke out. That his shed blood continues to bear witness of his righteousness. And through his faith, though he did die, he still speaks. When it says he still speaks in Hebrews, we should note that that is an ongoing, it's a present active tense, which means he, he continues to cry out. His meaning is, long as we're here in this world, the blood of Abel will continue to cry out, is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. That it's an ongoing testimony, that the ground continues to cry out of his blood. It continues to be a testimony. Now why, why does God choose Abel first in this list of saints? And there's going to be many saints in Hebrews 11. Why is Abel first? Well, I think the context of Hebrews is important. The Hebrews were facing persecution for being Christians. The Hebrews were facing Violence. They were facing their property being taken. They were facing jail, as we've seen. They were experiencing the threat of physical violence. They'd experienced it in the past, all for being a Christian. So why does God give as his first example of faith to these men and women in this, this church, Abel, as the example? Because Abel is the first Christian murdered for his faith in the promise of the Messiah. In other words, God is taking to these Hebrews the example of Abel and saying, look, I, I know that you are facing persecution. You are facing violence. But look at your brother Abel. He did too. And now he has the testimony of righteousness. Consider what this example speaks to those enduring persecution. Abel was faithful, and he died for it. And we're still speaking of Abel today. We're talking about this man that lived thousands of years ago, and we're speaking of his faithfulness today. And in fact, it's not hard to imagine that there's many places all over the world every single Sunday that probably mention the name of Abel as being righteous in the sight of God because of the shed blood of Christ. And speaking of Cain as being wicked before God. 
But not only do we continue to speak of Abel and his, his righteousness, but, but what a testimony that the, na- the, the, the righteousness of Abel even was declared from the lips of his Savior that saved him. In Matthew 23, in verse 35, Jesus says, So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of, listen to how Jesus describes him, of righteous Abel. Listen, whatever you're facing, if you face it because of your faith, Abel was murdered for his faith. And the Lord declared him righteous as a testimony. There can be no more encouraging thing than that. Cain, who represents death and eternal suffering, Abel is the one who receives life. Abel looked on the promise of a future seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. He worshipped in light of that promise. He lived his life in light of that promise. And he died in light of that promise to be welcomed home by the one who promised it. You know, we see something so soon in Genesis that was alluded to already in 1 John, where it stated, Cain was of the evil one. We see in the first two recorded human beings after Adam and Eve, is you see immediately the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent emerging already. What do we learn from this? We could say a lot of things. Worship matters to God. We worship by faith. We gather in the name of the risen Savior to worship because of His shed blood on our behalf as our final and only sacrifice. We don't gather just because we have to or we think that that's what's right to do or because of some obligation or what we think we may gain from it, though I don't think you gain much from worshiping today in our secular society. But it matters why we gather. The justified we see here in this story will live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave His life for us, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20. We know that when we are in Christ, it changes our priorities and it changes our way of life just as it did for Abel. And Abel died for it. But he received something greater. The testimony of the Lord in whose sight he was counted precious. And we see two seeds. We see the seed of the evil one and we see the seed of the woman coming forth that will result in the coming Messiah. This morning as you sit here, which seat are you? The common designation of a Christian in the New Testament is with the preposition in. Those that are in Christ. That is that they are in the seat of the woman. The Messiah that will crush 
the seed of the serpent. Which seed are you this morning? If you're in Christ, then your testimony is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And it has been testified of righteousness, not your own, but the imputed righteousness of Christ. And you can praise the Lord for that. But if you're not in Christ, the testimony of you is that you are of Cain. And you need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to plead with him for his mercy because he loves to show mercy to those who come to him. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross on our behalf. We know that we contain no righteousness of our own, just like Abel had no righteousness of his own, but his righteousness was imputed to him. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear your word, to show us our need for the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in salvation, but for every moment of our life that we need Christ. Father, this day is the day you have commanded as a day of worship. I pray that we would examine our own hearts in light of what your word says about worship. We would take that seriously, that we would know this is your day. The day is to be set aside, not just this hour, but this day is the Lord's day. It is set aside for worship of you. For Lord, you are worth it. You are worthy of worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.